Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. We are now in football season. We have an actual real football game to recap. We also have an actual real football game to preview. So this should be a really, really fun show. Uh, If you're new, definitely go listen to our old episodes because those are fun too. But generally what we're going to do during the season is go through a few questions and answers which you can be a part of if you go at michigan.247sports.com slash board. We usually post a thread looking for questions a couple days in advance. We got some good ones today. Then we'll talk a little bit about last week, a little bit about recruiting, and then we will look ahead to the next week. This week, we're going to look more at Florida because that was a big game where Cincinnati might not have that kind of impact. You know, No offense to the Bearcats, but... Probably not going to be as big of a game as the Florida one. We won't learn as much this Saturday as we did last Saturday. But anyway, let's get started. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hole are on the line with me. You can read all of our stuff at michigan.247sports.com. But anyway, let's get right into the questions. This first one comes from Dizzo. Uh, mainly a question for Steve, although I think Isaiah and I can both chirp in our answers at least. Uh, but if you could choose one and only one Ben to have on the team this year, would you pick Ben Gideon or Ben Mason? Steve, you're a big fan of both guys, so this is going to, you know, turn your heart a little bit, but but who are you picking? Thank you for saying Ben Mason properly to begin. Um, you just didn't. You said you always would, and then you messed it up right there. <laughs> yep. But I was talking about you talking about uh-huh. him. Nice technicality. But it's been, it's been getting, it's not even close. I actually went back and read our old tremendous breakdown. So my buddy Keith and I were the ones that did the old tremendous site. And I remember when Ben was in high school, you know, we would try to do film breakdowns and I remember texting him and asking him if he had any film for us from his, I think it was his junior season. And he sent us like the most thorough film, I think to this day that I've ever received or watched for a pro i mean it was like 35 minutes of film and uh because i don't know if it was his coach or if it was somebody his dad or somebody in his family you know they were very thorough about you know the stuff that he was doing well the stuff he wasn't doing well so they didn't just you know a lot of guys just you know for colleges now just pick out the best five best plays of each game or 10 best plays of each game he had the whole game you know, that made it a lot easier to evaluate him. I know Keith is a former college football player, you know, way better with the film than I was, was immediately enamored with him. And he quickly became our favorite uh, prospect, uh, you know, that, that we'd ever covered. I still joke about it with him when I get to see him. And uh, biggest thing, though, honestly, I tweeted this too, but big congrats to him on winning the starting job in Minnesota. Yeah, that's uh, huge. Yeah. And, you know, there's a guy, you, you go if you go to the NFL.com scouting reports, the uh, I think they projected the ceiling for him would be to be a special teams contributor. Uh, <laughs> anybody who watched him, you know, knows he's he's definitely an athletic guy for his size. Obviously, it showed. I mean, if he's starting in the NFL to begin his career, so uh, big congrats to him. Gaddian would definitely be the pick for me. Uh, ben Mason is probably Harbaugh's favorite guy right now, right? So uh, nice to see him. If you go back and look at the game, I think somebody tweeted this too against Florida on one of the special teams plays the plays like almost over. And here comes Mason like flying into the pile. Uh, and like, it was just, you'd have to, you have to find it. I can't remember which 
kickoff return it was, but on one of them, like Mason just flies into the pile at the end of the play, um, like a leaps from like four yards away. It was pretty funny actually when you watch the replay. So I uh, I remember seeing that actually at uh, being I, I was on that that in that area of the field when he did that. It was a uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, he uh, you know you can that's the type of stuff though. That's why Harbaugh likes him. It's obvious, yeah. you know, a guy that wants wants to mix it up, not a guy who will mix it up when it comes to him. A guy who's like actively looking to you know, get physical and, and, and get, get mean, I guess. Yeah. I, I think both will be, I think you'd probably want both on your team. I'd take the guy who's one of the top, I mean, it's only what 30 or 32 teams and like three or four linebacker starters. So he's one of the top 120 in the world at what he does. So I'd take Gideon, but uh good, interesting question. Interesting debate. You know, who would you rather have? I know Dizzo. It was a joke. I think he's. Oh kind yeah. Of said, it was. I know. Right. Yeah. Because we're big, big Ben Gideon fans. We're also uh, big Ben Mason fans. Well, true. Getting there. Okay, and keep in mind, Don Brown said at the uh, at the uh, Orange Bowl press conferences that uh, he couldn't have run his defense the way that he wanted to when he got to Michigan if it weren't for Ben Gideon. <laughs> I like that. Now we got to say them both that way. Anyway, question two from. Lolo in PNP or LOL on PNP. Well, I don't know. They'll let us know. Question for anyone, really. How much credit should we start giving Partridge for the LB play going forward? When it comes to most discussion about our defense, Don Brown is front and center with the occasional Madison mention. My curiosity also comes from not knowing how much control Brown might still have over the LB or group. And I'll let you guys get to this, but obviously Partridge is doing a doing his work recruiting and developing these players I don't I I don't think he's doing nothing um and I think these young guys are very much much him and and you know Don Brown kind of like Drevno with the offensive linemen nowadays I mean Greg Fry is there a lot and Tim Drevno that's what he knows but he's also got a lot of other stuff to do so I think he probably give it to both of them, but I, I think people, are people still sleeping on Chris Partridge here? Are they, I don't know, I feel, I kind of get that vibe that people still are questioning what he does, but clearly with another crop of, I mean, this is the second year in a row where they've had to replace most of their linebackers, and they look very, very good against a pretty solid Florida team. Uh, Isaiah, what do you think? I mean, they work in tandem. Uh, I don't think there's I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, you alluded to the Tim Drevno offensive line thing. That's very much Don Brown with the, with the linebackers. That's the, their part and parcel to everything that's what he's trying to do. So he has his hand more involved in the linebacking core than anything. So, yeah, I mean, it is, it is partly the Don Brown show. He's going to pay seemingly a little bit more attention to what the linebackers are doing because it's nece- necessary for him to be able to run his defense. That said, uh, just like in, in any coordinator to position coach type, you know, relationship, it's it's always going to be the coordinator's vision followed by the the position coach being able to carry out their vision. It's uh, and being able to teach the technique. So obviously, Chris Partridge gets you know all the credit for being able to to take what Don Brown's trying to do and make sure that his guys know it. I don't I don't think it's much more complicated than that, to be honest. 
I, I say Don Brown. Uh, remember that Partridge is splitting his time between linebackers and special teams. He is, but still. No, I know, but yeah. special teams is really important. I'm sure there's a lot of time spent, you know, on his end with the, with the special teams group. Uh, the the way the linebackers play are, are it's in a classic Don Brown style. Uh, I think part here's the thing about Partridge. I think he's he's carved out his niche on the recruiting trail. Obviously, he's in such a great position though. He's so valuable to Michigan on the recruiting trail, and I think he's learning under the tutelage of one of the best linebacker coaches, you know, definitely in college yeah. football, yeah. in Don Brown. And so I think it's a situation where, yeah, I mean, it's not like he's standing around, you know, twiddling his thumbs or anything like that. I know he's had an impact with the linebackers, but I still think they got Don Brown's fingerprints all over him. And I think until he either is full-time linebackers or full-time somewhere else, I think it's a situation where, I'm going to give the coordinator a look. You know, like when Greg Madison was the defensive coordinator at Michigan under Brady Hoke, you know he spent most of his time still coaching the defensive line. Uh, it is it's the same thing here. Uh, I think Don Brown is still sort of a defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, and again, not even close to taking anything away from Partridge, who again – it's played out so nicely for him. And, you know, he's earned every, he's earned all of it too. Like I said, with the recruiting and, you know, look how Michigan, look how well Michigan's done on special teams. Uh, even after John Baxter's departure, you know, that's Partridge deserves as much credit for that yeah. as anybody does. And so, uh, you know, I, yeah, like I said, I still think the linebacker position uh, for the most part, I still think it has Don Brown's fingerprints all over it, but there's no doubt that Partridge is probably becoming more of a factor each each year as he continues to learn. You know, he was coaching high school football like three years ago, you know, and now he's coaching a position for really maybe the top defense in the country, you know. So I'm sure he's still learning every day, just like the players are, you know, with a guy like Don Brown who's been doing it forever. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just like, you know, however Wilton Spate does, Yes, that'll be Pep Hamilton's go-to thing, but Jim Harbaugh, I mean, to think that he's not doing, you know, all, a big chunk of work with the quarterbacks is just not knowing who he is. Don Brown is a linebacker's guy. Plus, they're pretty, their defensive line, they've got a some sort of guru there. So, yeah, I mean, he he, he should get credit. He should definitely get credit as this season goes on because I think we're going to see some really good things from not only the sophomores, but also the freshman linebackers as the season wears on. I, I don't think, you know, one coach is walking in and doing all that. I think that's that's multiple minds working on it. Anyway, our next question comes from Star Fox. Well, it's a couple questions. Uh, first, first, Star Fox wants to know, I was a little surprised that the offense didn't try to use the tight ends in the middle of the field more often against Florida. Is that something you expect to be a bigger part of the offense? Uh, over the course of the season? Uh, I mean, I think they were still kind of working on routes for everybody, it seemed like. And also, one of my replay takeaways was that the, you know, I rewatched the game, and uh, not to necessarily call anyone out by name, but there were there were some missed blocks by the tight ends that I think Michigan was a little unhappy with. And one guy that stood out 
by from not missing blocks ended up getting rewarded with routes was Sean McCune. Uh, Steve, we'll let you go first this time. I mean, do you think uh, Cincinnati's got a whole new linebacker core? Obviously, this isn't necessarily the game we're focusing on, but how did you? Are they not using the tight ends enough in your eyes, or is this just was that just one one small sample size? I mean, it's everything's a small sample size to an extent, I guess. Uh, you know, these are guys that hadn't don't have a ton of on field experience still, so. I think there's still like a feeling out process, particularly with the guys like McCune, uh, Wheatley, Gentry too, who Gentry saw a ton of snaps on Saturday, like probably more than any other player. I was surprised to see him on the field as often as he was. Uh, I think that's a great sign for the unit as a whole. Um, But as far as like being surprised about not using the tight ends in the middle of the field, I don't know. Not really. I mean, the the question was kind of funny because then it brings up the throw to Eubanks, which was, Michigan using the middle of the field with their tight ends. Uh, I, I think it is. I think it's a situation of, of feeling things out, letting the guys get acclimated, you know, to, to some real in-game experience. I think it's a, I think it's a, one of those of, of many instances offensively where I think you'll see them mix it in more and more as the season goes on and, and these guys become, you know, a little bit more seasoned, you know, in general. My yeah, and, and Isaiah, I will... Star Fox had a second part to the question that's somewhat related to what Steve just mentioned. Uh, but, you know, he says, very excited to see the freshmen out there this week. Uh, who do you think will get some long looks? You know, maybe maybe they'll dial them up a little bit more uh, outside of the guys. Well, you can include the guys that were pretty obvious because other than a cu- what Tariq Black was really the only, and Quinn Nordine, to my knowledge, were the only freshmen that got tons of snaps. Uh, but oh, anyway, Donovan, Donovan got plenty of snaps. Yeah, too. yeah. So, so I guess kind of you can talk a little bit about the tight ends as well. But also, we mentioned that you know these groups are going to get more comfortable. They're going to start uh, spreading the ball around a little bit more than just the guys that they that they know they can trust. It's going to start being guys that are maybe new faces. I, I guess anyone else, both in the tight ends and also outside of the tight ends, that you're keeping an eye on this week. Well, the, it's it's really the guys that you've seen, especially on the special team side of the ball. You're not, you know, they've they've got, a, you know, a lot of second and third year guys on both sides of the ball that that are going to be your primary playmakers. And I mean, obviously, we'll see a few more if things go to plan. Just for the sake of there won't be a need for those, you know, first and second rotation guys to be in. But at the same time, like you're really going to see a lot of those guys in the special teams, just like last year, you know, they're, they burned a lot of red shirts, but you saw most of those guys on special teams, not in, you know, main game action on either of the units. So I, I would expect to say the same. I mean, you saw Ambry Thomas got some snaps on the defensive side of the ball uh, near the end of the game. He would be probably my biggest candidate of a guy that we didn't see that much on the defensive side of the ball, just considering, even even if we see Brandon Watson and David Long, uh, they might want to rest them a little bit just since they got a little dinged up this uh, this last week. So that would be a prime opportunity for Ambry. Uh, maybe we'll see some Jameric Woods. Maybe we'll see some Jalen Kelly-Powell. Uh, but other than that, I mean, we saw Tariq. We saw Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, not sure yet when we'll see Omori Samuels. Uh, but I don't know that there's a need to yet because 
what what they when they get something rolling like they did on in many ways on Saturday it there's kind of not really much of a need to you know in a game like that to necessarily try some new things they might do that a little bit more this week but it, at the same time i you know i i wouldn't put it i wouldn't i wouldn't put it past them to throw a couple guys out there but i think you're pretty much seeing the main contributors that we're going to see week in week out yeah and one one area where there might be more we'll call it freshman implementation uh, might be, in my eyes at least a little bit, since it's a little lower pressure of a game, and they, they will eventually need these guys, is that, that defensive line rotation, which brings us to our next question. Emend121 said, uh, uh, any concern about the lack of D-line rotation? Only five guys saw significant snaps on Saturday. Obviously, they were, playing, they were not playing a four-man front uh, as often. And Monet did not see necessarily starter level snaps, uh, whereas Noah Furbish did. Uh, but anyway, he wants to know. You know, he thinks that they're going to wear down if they're only playing six guys. I personally am not concerned. I mean, I think they were kind of preparing. I don't think they're going to rotate. I don't think there's going to be a bench player that gets 48 percent of snaps this year. I think the dynamic of the unit, you know, guys like Mo Hurst, Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary, they're kind of preparing to play two-thirds to three-fourths of the snaps, which is not necessarily a bad thing. That's what a lot of schools do. Um, but I think, I, I don't know. You guys can weigh in, but I, I imagine the rotation is, I don't think it's a concern. I mean, maybe if it's like week six and they're not rotating against Indiana and they got to play Penn State. I I don't know. I don't, I, I think... People got a little spoiled last season with when they could rotate eight guys, all of which could be NFL players. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily realistic this season in the same level. It's not it's not as many upperclassmen guys, but I would assume that they're going to. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's a concern. I think it's just something that they're working on that they couldn't necessarily do a ton of in a Florida game that was. Not necessarily close, but closer than these next two weeks will be. Uh, Isaiah, we can let you go first this time. I mean, is this a concern at all to you? Not even a little bit, to be honest. It, yeah, I, I think the three-three-five stack that they use for the majority of the game, and having those guys in for primary majority of the game. I mean, that's that's what you do in in a in a big game like this was this is one of Michigan's biggest games of the season and they you know they decided how they were going to attack this potentially multiple Florida offense and they decided that they were going to show that look and they went with it for most of the game I don't I mean we still saw some of the guys they may you know maybe not as much as you think like Carlo Kemp was out there uh, yeah Lawrence Marshall (laughs) was out there Carlo Kemp was out there a fair amount we saw a fair amount of of rotation, just not, you know, not as much as we did last year. And I'm sure that when they, you know, they go back to a four, three base, you'll still see, you'll see more Monet. You'll see more of the, you know, you'll see some Aubrey Solomon. You'll see Michael Dwumfor, who was also in the game uh, a fair amount this last week. So I, you know, I, I'm not concerned at all. I think it's, it's just, they knew how they were going to attack this particular Florida team and they did it. And, you know, you're not, it's just like, you know, when we get to year's end against Ohio State, you're going to expect to see 
you know, the guys that they think are going to be the best to be able to attack that offense. Yeah, they've got a great more, starting more four. Why, why? I mean, I understand you don't want them to wear out, but why take them off the field? If it's working, then yeah. why, you know, why try to fix it, I guess, is the, is the best thing you can say. And what they, what they had out there was working, so they didn't need to change it up. What do you think, Steve? Anything to add? Uh, no. I mean, they play Cincinnati, Air Force, and Purdue in the next three <laughs> weeks. I think those other guys are going to see plenty of snaps. You know, I mean, <clears throat> come November, as long as their front four is fresh, then Michigan will be in good shape. And they play enough teams in between the Michigan States, Penn States, and Ohio States to give their second and third units some significant snaps to yeah. keep Chase fresh and keep Hurst and Gary and, and Monet fresh. I mean, Monet, <laughs> Monet's going to be fresh for a while, <laughs> I feel like. I mean, he hardly played on Saturday. So, yeah. uh, again, by design, right? So, I mean, geez, just put in a list. I mean, yeah, Marshall had a fumble recovery. Uh, Carlo Kemp's in there with a broken hand. <laughs> right. Carl Myers will probably see some snaps. Quiddy Pay was in there. Uh, Valaine, I'm guessing, will definitely see the field. Aubrey Solomon was on the field for the last, for the touchdown drive on Winovich's sack fumble. I'll, Solomon played that whole drive in the middle. I mean, he was right there. Uh, Ruben Jones got some good playing time. I mean, yeah, it's when they start playing the softer parts of their schedule the next few weeks here, no disrespect to those schools, but uh, I think those other guys are going to see a lot more playing time unless you know, barring something significant. Yeah, it's not hockey. You don't need a second and third line. You know, you can get away. Uh, well, uh, we've. I think we've. We've all said basically the same thing. They. They'll be. Right. They have plenty of time to figure it out. Uh, I don't think that there. I don't think that there was a concern in week one. To be totally honest, I switch it. We're gonna switch over. Talk some Michigan, Florida. I. You know, and the question for you guys will be what what takeaway. Maybe one that hasn't been discussed at length. What takeaway you have still five days later? Because that was a, I mean, we'll have this debate. I don't think Florida's going to be especially good, but we can discuss that in a moment. But it was still a very good win for Michigan, and there weren't really, you know, there wasn't really anything to worry about. You know, if you factor in the talent that Florida has... That's that's a pretty good beatdown uh, to start the season when you're so young. So my my five day takeaway. Well, I said not to do one that people had already talked about, but the the fast defense still really sticks out in my mind. Just how quickly they're able to cover up holes. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else that I took away from the game. But just like how quickly they can go sideline to sideline, and I mean, you know, ah, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just something really, really that's going to be really fun to watch. I think Michigan fans are they took to the defense each of the last two years, and I think they're really going to like this unit because, man, I mean, against if if they're making those plays against Florida, you know, if you've got Mo Hurst sniffing out screen plays, and you know, Chase Winovich being the rover and tracking down the quarterback from 15 yards out. I mean, it's going to be a long season for a lot of offenses. Uh, you guys can overlap with mine if that was your takeaway, but uh, we'll have Steve go first this time. Five days later, 
What is still on your mind about this game? I mean, I think the defensive side of the ball's kind of just been expounded upon enough. They look really good, and safety stepped up. I thought both those guys played excellent football. Metellus on that forced fumble, I've watched that play 20 times, just tossing that receiver to the side. Uh, that's that dog mentality that Don, that any defensive coordinator is going to want, but uh, I think that's what Michigan strives for. Uh, was an amazing play. And then for Marshall to, to hustle all the way across the field and be in the right spot at the right, that's how you force turnovers. You hustle. He was in the right spot at the right time, but he earned getting to that spot because he ran all the way across the field, knocked over the same receiver who had just gotten up after Metellus threw him to the ground before, and then falls right on the fumble. So same deal with Furbush's touchdown. You know, just pursuit. Right spot at the right time, ball's right there. Boom, 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 touchdown. So my biggest takeaway offensively, uh, uh, I don't know how to say this without – you know, I read articles about how there were some Michigan had some struggles running the ball on first down. Uh, Florida is one of the two or three best front sevens that Michigan's going to face. And they ran for over 200 yards against them. They ran the ball well enough to consistently open up the play action pass, which really, at the end of the day, if you can do that, then your offense is going to have a ton of opportunities to score points. And you know, I think some people treated my giving the quarterback position in my postgame grades a B minus, treated it like I gave him an A plus. Uh, you know, more often than not, still going forward, I think Spade is going to hit those passes that he probably missed on Saturday. And their ability to run the football is going to dictate that. And I thought they did a great job of it for the most part. You know, one of the other big takeaways, too, they impose their will in the second half offensive on the offensive line. Michigan hasn't done that against the quality. Again, we can debate how good Florida is or how good they're going to be, but that front seven was picked by more people, like so many people to be not just one of the best in the SEC, but one of the best in the country. And Michigan's front five imposed their will on them in the second half and wore them down. And I, I thought that was, you know, you look at the pass to Eubanks, look at the protection that Spade had on that pass. I mean, there was nobody within three or four yards of him when he threw the ball. Uh, that counts Ty Isaac, too, with an excellent pass protection out of the running back spot, too, in that, in that individual play. You know, that's what it stood out to me because that's one of the question marks. Yeah, Nolan Ulysio really struggled in the first half, but I thought he rebounded for the most part in the second half, again, against a really good defensive front. Like, Jordan Sherritt's a really good football player. Uh, I think he had two sacks in the game, actually, for Florida. Yep. You know, so, yeah, so... They, that was my biggest takeaway. And, and yeah, I think it's hard not to take away that spate. Obviously, he has to be better. I don't think any, there's no debate about that. I think the biggest thing maybe is how good they really can be if he's the guy, if he can take the next step. You know, yeah. I mean, the running backs all looked great. Like, Ty Isaac looked like a different player. Now, I know that they caught Florida off guard with some unique calls, but uh, like, especially in the third downs. But those were all blocked really, really well, you know, and he was not indecisive in his decision making, like maybe he has been in the past. You know, he was he hit like I'd say Ty Isaac hit the hole harder on Saturday than I've ever seen him, whether it's at USC or Michigan. Yeah. And I think uh, it's fair. right, you know, so I, yeah. I thought that he 
you know, I don't know. I just offensively, I thought there were a lot of things that really stood out to me. And, you know, you can break down that they had a lot of one yard runs or whatever. That's just, conti- that's just keeping the defense honest to, to set up the throw. I mean, and they ran the ball effectively enough in different spots to force their front seven to stay honest. I mean, Tariq Black's open by 15 yards because of their play action pass. How's that happen? Because they ran the ball effectively, you know, so, uh, you don't have to, you don't have, I mean, obviously best case scenario, four or five yards on first down always will be, but you don't have to get that every time for defenses to have to respect your running game. And Michigan made a very high quality front seven, respect their running game throughout that throughout the, the entire game. And I, that's not something that we've seen out of them, uh, when they're playing like high quality team. Yeah. It's like, unless you're playing, unless you're like Oklahoma state, you're going to have plays that go for zero, one or two yards. Isaiah, uh, your five day takeaways. To, to add on to exactly what Steve was saying there, you have to keep in mind too, that with, when you're running the ball and you, you have some of these plays, they're not always designed to, you're not always necessarily trying to, to get first downs. You're not always trying to get, you know, six, seven yards, sometimes you're literally showing something to show it. Uh, that's something you always have to remember, especially with a guy like Harbaugh. Uh, but my my big takeaway, and this is something that I wrote about in the morning column the other day, is after I went back and uh, did my rewatch, granted it was a limited rewatch because the uh, I, it was a recording of uh, the replay on ESPNU and they cut out a lot of plays, but watching it, I I really didn't see a lot of bad decisions by Wilton Spate. Yes, we saw some bad throws. That's that was the difference. When I went back and looked at what you know where he was throwing, where where he was trying to go with the ball, watched uh, you know watched him go through his reads, he was almost spot on decision wise. And I know I know even in that in that uh, the comment section there, a lot of people disagreed based solely off of exactly what I said. The throws weren't there. It wasn't the, it wasn't where he was going with the football. Uh, that was that was huge, I think, because he gives you that extra, something extra in that he's smart enough to know. Okay, here's where I should go. Uh, you look at the plays, uh, the Kakoa Crawford one. Uh, that's obviously not really that much on Spate. Harbaugh said, you know, against his own defense, maybe don't go into the middle of the field. But I mean, that that throw was pretty right on. It just happened to careen off of his fingertips. The Grant Perry. Uh, overthrow that was entirely on spate because that's the type of throw that we've seen time and time again, especially to someone like Cramp Perry, where he catches the ball if it's on target and he makes a nice little cutback and is able to kind of get around some guys. Uh, that looked like exactly what they were going to try to do. And I had a Florida defender come around, uh, pull around the uh, the tackle, the, the defensive tackle pulled around the uh, Michigan tackle, and uh, I think Spate just kind of panicked and uh, instead of Instead of uh, you know making an on-target throw, that made him sail it a little bit. Uh, obviously, you have the Kakoa Crawford play that's uh, going down the going down the sideline, but Spate checked into that play for all the the anger that I hear going towards him that he missed him. That play wouldn't would not have even been there had Wilton not checked into that play. Uh, so great decision making. I mean, even on the. Uh, on the touchdown that got called back. I mean, that was a big time throw that he was able to make to uh, an open falling down Kakoa Crawford. 
like think the, like they said on the broadcast, that looked like that was more designed to go to Khalid Hill. That certainly looked like that. Khalid was covered up. Uh, that also didn't seem like that was a penalty to me. But you know, it just it, it looked like that you know Spate made a fantastic decision there. So if they can get him to settle down, make his throws to go along with that decision making, I mean this. Offense really could be lights out, but we have to wait and see. So one question, one more question about Florida, because Steve and I both alluded to it. You know, when I rewatch, by the way, we all, all three of us share our insight on the game uh, very extensively. Michigan.247sports.com. If you you were curious by anything we said, I highly encourage you to check it out. Maybe go back a couple days. Uh, because we've all got stories up that that break all this down. But, you know, when I rewatch the game, and I guess you can look at it one of two ways. Because I saw Florida, I saw their linebackers just completely blowing assignments, you know, looking completely mystified. And I saw, I mean, I saw a lot of confusion by Florida's offense. I mean, whether it was Franks or Zayarin, it just seemed like no one was ever on the same page. A lot of a lot of panicked, frantic signaling and looks and, and things that we can't necessarily hear in the game. It just, it just, I got the vibe that Florida might be in for like a five loss season, especially, I mean, I don't know how long these suspensions are going to last, but if they, if they go into any of these other big games, I, I would put my money away from Florida. And so, so while I do think it's a big win, and I do think it's going to be one of Michigan's five best wins of the season. I just, I have a hard time thinking that Florida is going to be a top 20 team again by the end of the season. I think it's going to be, you know, I think, I think it was really good for Michigan because they played really well and they dominated and their young players got a lot of confidence and a lot of experience. But I, I am, I have a hard time believing this is like one of those big, you know, statement to the nation, top 20 wins. Uh, Steve, I, I know you disagree. I mean, do you think, are you, I mean, we know Florida recruits really well and they're very talented. They're the 18th most talented team in the country per our 24-7 team talent composite. Uh, you think that th- this is going to be a win that becomes a signature win by the end of the season? Yes, but just because of the context of, what this team is and where they're at. That's really the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Florida, I, I, you know, I don't know if Florida is going to be any good or not. I do know two things though. Michigan obliterated them up front, particularly, you know, offensive line. I, I think I was on the, our 24 seven, our big 10 podcast yesterday and all fall camp was Jim McElwain saying the offensive line was the strength of this team. And Michigan completely <laughs> obliterated them up front. I mean, it wasn't even a contest. And that's one of the other things, like I said, you know, it's funny how the national narrative of this game flipped from, well, Michigan's really inexperienced to, oh, well, Florida's not very good. You know, it, yeah. Michigan made them look bad. Uh, this is a game that if Wilton Spate hits two or three more throws, this game is like 49 to 10 or something like that. I mean, it's, it's a complete absolute demolition or whatever the, you know, I don't know, some other really bad (laughs) adjectives and verbs. Uh, So in that regard, again, and that's kind of the, the kind of the flip side though, is that because they are that young 
and an experience. That's kind of why I think it is a big win. I think it's a big confidence boost for a ton of guys. Uh, Michael Onwenu being one, you know, the guy that I've probably continually pointed to as one of the key players on this team this year because he can be so good. Uh, matter of fact, I'm actually, uh, MGO blog just did their UFR, which is really one of the best and most thorough pieces of Michigan football on the internet. And uh, kind of in agreement with what I thought is that on when it was especially a guy, much like Ulysio, who they were really down on, but uh, that Michael on when who got way but played a really good second half. And that's such a great sign. Uh, and, and that's, that's why, again, I think for a lot of these young guys, you have to, it, doing it, you know, actually doing it is, can be so beneficial. And that's why I look at guys like McCune on Wenu, even Tariq Black, you know, we've heard about him all fall. We heard about him all spring and summer. You know, he's, he's great in practice, but to see him make, you know, to lead the team in receiving, make two really nice catches or at least run two really nice routes to get open against a high quality defense. That's such a big confidence boost for a young guy like that. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he turned around and had a really big game again on Saturday, just because, you know, because he, now he knows, that he can do it. And I think that that's something that for a young team, I think that can really help out a lot, you know, and I look at the secondary in the same way. I think the tests are obviously, that's one spot where the tests are going to remain. Florida's definitely not the best test for the Michigan secondary, Yeah, Yeah. but they also played for the most part played really well. I know you Zach specifically said that you liked what you saw to Levert Hill. I thought that first pass that Florida threw and completed was just an absolute perfect pass from Frank. So that was a, initially I thought, man, maybe Michigan's going to be in for it today. Cause that was a great pass and catch. Um, but I thought he re- specifically rebounded really well. Brandon Watson looked fine was he, when he was in there too. Mm-hmm. And, and then Hill was great in run support, which I think was one of the biggest questions about him. He made a couple of nice plays around the edge. So uh, to me, I, I think, I don't even know what the question was anymore, but uh, how, how big will this win be? Yeah, right. I think yeah. it was. Yeah, sorry. I think it was big be, for the confidence for a lot of these guys. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could just go down the list. Eubanks too. You know. Yeah. Look, he ran right, runs right by a safety and a, and a linebacker, both safeties. You know, and makes one of the biggest plays of the game. You know, that can be a that can just guys can build off that stuff. They can build off success. I think much easier than than failure. Right. I mean, they're. Mm-hmm. Failure, there leaves it leaves uncertainty. There's uncertainty still there with failure, uh, but with success, you know, you can tell yourself, "Hey, I know how, you know, I know what I'm doing." You know, you have more confidence in your the way you carry yourself or your day to day approach. I think so. I will say one thing that that really stood out to me that should boost Michigan's confidence and maybe the fans' confidence too. And Isaiah, I want to get your thoughts on this because you were on the sidelines, but it just, you know, when I rewatched it. We talk about Michigan, I think there's one narrative that the young players, you know, got their feet wet and they understood what was going on and that's why they came out dominating the second half. I think they were just in better shape. I, I think they were, I mean, we saw, we, I broke this down a couple weeks ago that, you know, how many offensive line and defensive line and linebacker players lost weight from last season to this season. And, you know, that's, I think it's sometimes overblown, but it seemed like they really really got themselves into good athletic shape. I did talk about the speed a little bit ago, but you know, I saw Florida, it's like they had hands on their hips. 
They were taking their time, uh, in, you know, between plays. They were, you know, patting each other on the back, trying to get each other pumped up. And, you know, Michigan's just over there running faster and faster, you know, with each quarter. So, Isaiah, I know Steve kind of took took much of the debate of uh, is this a big game or how how can this be a big game? But are you seeing the same things that, that I – did you see the same things I saw as far as this is just a ridiculously athletic team that just, you know, didn't even matter – how talented Florida was coming in. They were just ready to run past them in the second half. I mean, can't it be both? I mean, I thought I thought there was a good chance that Michigan was a better team going into this game anyway, and that they were Florida clearly did not respect how athletic Michigan was. And you know, Florida fans that I talked to after the games, I was in Dallas for uh, a full uh, a full about uh, twenty eight hours. 30 hours after the uh, after the game ended and saw some Florida fans and they were just, they were embarrassed and they said, I just can't believe that we, that we lost to this crappy defense. They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's like, just did, incorrect. Like you didn't, you clearly didn't watch the fact that the Michigan team is able to just explode through your lines. This Michigan team was you know, running to the ball. I do think that they were better conditioned to take advantage of this, but one of the things that people uh, don't talk about enough, although I heard it a little bit on the radio this week, was, you know, you always want to hear SEC speed, SEC speed. A lot of guys on this Michigan defense have SEC speed, essentially. Like, they're, they're guys that are from... A lot of them are from... Yeah, they are the SEC. <laughs> they yeah, they... Like, are you telling me that Rashawn Gary doesn't have SEC speed? He's the consensus number one recruit. He could have gone anywhere in the country. He'd have the third uh, fastest 40 time among defensive ends in NFL Combine history. So, so yeah. It, it's this this team absolutely had has that. Uh now going to Florida, I mean I like Steve said, like you said, we don't know what they are. I do think they'll still be pretty good looking at their schedule. I mean, you know, they play Northern Colorado this week. I think they'll uh, win that one. I will say yeah, this. <laughs> they, they've got a shot. But I still I still don't really, even though they had their comeback win, I don't really respect Tennessee very much. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but then, like, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, we don't know what LSU is under Ed Orgeron. We, we just watched Texas A&M get destroyed uh, after, uh, well, after, I shouldn't say destroyed, but they gave up an insurmountable lead that, you know, basically fan, Texas and A&M fans could have left at halftime usually and thought, like, all right, well, we clearly got that win, and they were clearly wrong. Georgia, still don't know what Georgia is. I, it's another team in the SEC that I think is just wildly overrated. We'll see what they are against Notre Dame this week. Mm-hmm. Missouri, South Carolina, UAB, and Florida State. I mean, that's a that's not necessarily saying that Florida's good if they go out and have a good season because that's a pretty overall that's a pretty weak schedule. They've only got those uh well yeah, it kind of depends on the west how the SEC East is cuz Florida State's still good. LSU's probably going to, you know, oh well. Florida, I, I know Florida what you mean though. still good, but we but we don't but we don't know how they're going to rebound after losing, you know, one of their two best players, you know, that, that and one that's probably the most important of the two. Yeah. in DeAndre Francois. So by the time that by the time they we, you know they get to that game the last week of the season, you know, both teams might be figured out, but 
I, I do still think Florida has a good defense. Michigan just did a lot to really confuse them. Uh, yeah. You know, you always we, we hear constantly in two years of having Jim Harbaugh about how the opposing teams have to prepare twice as hard for this Michigan offense, even though it looks relatively vanilla, but they're, they're giving an insane amount of looks. And, you know, and then like you, then they have to try to defend those off schedule runs and things like that. And it, it's a complicated offense to go up against, especially in a first game for, uh, you know, especially a guy like Felipe Franks is, First game, that's that. Uh, you know, too to go. Uh, sorry, I, I mixed I mixed the sides of the ball real quick. Um, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to go up uh, up against as a good defense, regardless. And then to the other side of the ball, it's it. You know, that's a hard a hard defense to try to prepare for for your first game. I think Michigan's defense is is equally as difficult to prepare for at this point. And how, how, you know, Franks might be shell shocked after that because. That you know that he had defensive guys in his face the entire time he was in, so if they stick with him, who knows what they'll get? But uh, it's just it's hard to tell much from what you know Florida is. Not saying that Michigan is necessarily that they're world beaters. It's just that it's a very difficult team to prepare for in week one. Well, let's switch gears to our. No, let me. I want to say one thing though. If if you guys want to agree with me on this, so going back to Frank's real quick. I thought taking Franks out was one of the most peculiar decisions of the I game. I still don't know what the reasoning was. I, I didn't necessarily follow Florida, but it still baffles right. me because he looked you know, all right. He I mean, was conf- yeah, there was no doubt he was a little confused, a little uh, you know unsure, but there's no way. I mean, after the way you look at Zaire, there's no way that Franks wasn't the better option. I thought that was, I thought in a quiet way, I thought that really – I don't want to say it decided the game because I felt like Michigan was going to win either way, you know, once, especially when they started to impose their will in the second half. But, man, I, I, don't, I didn't get that decision at all. If I'm a Florida fan, I'm, like, you know, really questioning the, I don't know, seeming like they forced it a little bit. I mean, because it was clear right away that Michigan had Zaire figured out. I mean, he was – you think Franks was confused. I mean, Zaire was all over the place. I mean, they could have <laughs> yeah. forced four or five – they could have forced four or five turnovers and hit – you know, it just in the portion of the game that he was in, you know. So, I don't know. I thought that was really weird, random, but no, it still baffles me. The whole the whole team kind of. My prediction is that they lose for at least four regular season games, but that's not what we're here for. We got about fifteen minutes left, so let's let's shift focus toward Cincinnati. Uh, I I don't think any of us expect it to be close, but we will discuss it and some things that that we're either looking forward to or that we are predicting. First, uh, Vias Azul 97, which means go blue in Spanish for those of you that don't know, uh, has some over unders for us. So we will do very quickly lightning round. Uh, we'll go. We'll each take two of them. So Steve, you're up first. Three and a half different tight ends with at least one reception. Over or under. Under. Okay, under. I think your mic might have missed it. Uh, Isaiah. Under. Four, yeah, there we go. Four and a half carries for Kareem Walker. Over or under. I'm gonna go with the uh, I'm gonna go with the under on that one. Yep, and then I have 185 and a half passing yards for Spate. I think that they're gonna air it out. I will say over. Steve, six and a half sacks by Michigan's defense. I'm actually. We were not supposed to elaborate. Under. You can do a sentence or two, but. <laughs> well, I was gonna. No, I just 
I feel like Cincinnati's going to try to pull one of those like snap and throw it type. Oh, yeah, you think they game. noticed? Yeah, yeah. Um, Isaiah five and a half combined receptions by Donovan Peoples Jones, Oliver Martin, and Nate Sheenley. That's well, an interesting mix. I think there's a good chance you're you're going to only see. Well, sorry, I know I know Matt's supposed to elaborate. I'm going to say on un, uh, under because I think Donovan's going to be the even in a blowout situation, be the primary guy out there. Okay, well, maybe that, that might be something to discuss another time. Uh, three and a half shots of Luke Fickle on the sidelines looking exasperated, angry, or sad. I would assume more. I don't know how often they show coaches, uh, but I, I have to imagine it will be at least once a quarter, and I don't imagine he's going to have very many looks. Beside, I mean, even Harbaugh, the joke is always that he looks like someone just took a crap in the room and he smells it and he's really confused. Uh, that's always his look on camera, and I'm sure Fickle has some sort of like oh, I can't believe this is happening. Sort of. I mean, they all they all have something of that sort. So I I guess I'll say over, but don't. I'm not going to be counting that one. Anyway, we're also going to do just like we did last week. Three bold predictions. We will go one at a time uh, around the around the circle. So so nine total predictions, I suppose. Uh, I will go first. Uh, this one I've been I've been trumpeting since what Sunday. I think Cincinnati gets shut out on Saturday. I just, I don't, I think, I think the only reason it wouldn't happen is if it was like some fluky play in, in, you know, on, on some blown coverage where Michigan's like, eh, I guess that happens. Uh, I think Michigan wants to, wants to send another message. I don't think they're especially motivated in this game, but I think Cincinnati's offense is really, really putrid. I mean, they had what, 3.7 yards per play against Austin P. And I know that they were, they were really pumping the brakes in that game and not trying anything creative, but Cincinnati's offense went three games without a touchdown last year. I don't think they're going to score a touchdown in this game. Isaiah, what's your first prediction? Uh, I'm going to go with Wilton Spate passes for over 300 yards this game. I think that he's definitely going to have, you know, like I said he before, he, he made a lot of really good decisions. He just didn't get the throw. I think he'll have that under control. The accuracy will be more under control. Uh, Cincinnati last year was... Uh, they allowed 233 yards per game. I think Michigan will surpass that. Yeah, 106th uh, in completion percentage allowed. So they, yeah, th- if you can sling it, you'll have a good game. Yeah, I, I just think he's going to get it under control. I think it, it, a lot of what we saw last week and not having it under control was just kind of a sling it mentality of uh, you know trying to prove some doubters wrong and kind of got away from him a little bit. Uh, I think he'll be more under control and he'll have a big game. All right, Steve, your turn. Say that Cincinnati wasn't trying anything off. They were losing at halftime, I think, weren't they? And and Austin P is one in forty six in their last forty seven games. Yeah, twenty eight game losing streak. Unbelievable! That's so bad. Um, my first one, I think they, I think they, uh, I was going back between three and four. I think they three interceptions. I think, like I said, I think they try to do that dink and dunk crap, and I think Michigan gets enough still gets enough pressure up front to force a few mistakes. So uh, I think they'll, I think the, a trio of interceptions, um, I, I don't know who's going to get them. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. It doesn't so, matter. Yeah. So I say three interceptions. Which I will is good. I will say there have been rumors and reports surfacing that basically Cincinnati's pregame speech last week before Austin P was just don't get hurt. I mean, I, they didn't try a pass that was more than 20 yards. You know they they really did try to keep things close to the vest, even though it ended up being embarrassingly close for them. 
Anyway, my bold prediction number two, uh, I think Donovan Peoples-Jones with, oh gosh, this is kind of bold, multiple touchdowns. You know, he mentioned the other day that he really wants to score. I think this is a game where Michigan's going to try to get him and Tariq Black and, and maybe even Kakoa Crawford and, and others. I think they're going to try to get them more involved. This is a great game, as Isaiah was talking about. Pretty putrid pass defense. They lost their number one uh they lost Zach Edwards. They lost Alex Thomas this summer. So it's actually, it became a young group. And I just think this is that kind of game where they want to reward the hard work some of the freshmen have done. So I think they're going to dial them up a little bit more and say, hey, you know, we're up 14. Let's just take a deep shot right here. Uh, because that's that's a big part of, you know, what these freshmen have been working toward is having that big touchdown pass with the entire crowd shaking and screaming and chanting their names. So I think that they, I think this is that kind of game where Michigan will be in a good enough position where they can have a little fun and try to reward some of the guys who've been working. So I'll say Donovan Peoples-Jones, multiple touchdowns. Uh, Isaiah, what do you got? I think Michigan's defense is going to hold Cincinnati to under 50 yards rushing. Uh, they got 98 against uh, Austin P or 97 against Austin P, and we obviously saw how they're able to swarm uh, swarm to the ball. Uh, and like Steve alluded to, we might see a lot of dink and dunk, but I I just don't see how. I think this Michigan rush defense is way better than people thought. Every, a lot of people thought maybe this uh, this defensive line might not be as adept at that. Uh, on, on, I just I just can't see how they get above 50 as of right now. Not going to really elaborate on that. All right, Steve, what do you got? Zach Gentry has 60 yards receiving and a touchdown, which I think is a bold prediction. That is bold. <laughs> I just listen to who Harbaugh talks about. And like I said, I, I not elaborating too much, but you know, they really liked what he did and he played a lot more than I thought he was going to, you know, and we saw what he can do in the spring game. I mean, he was really, that was really yeah. impressive. Might've been the most impressive individual play of that game just about. So, Zach Gentry. All right. A TD. All right. That's, I mean, Cincinnati does have a whole new crop of linebackers. They had to bring back, a, they had to bring a couple safeties in just to fill the position with people who have game experience. Uh, all right. So now we're going to do third prediction. Also, uh, just throw your MVP out there. I don't think we need to necessarily do another lap for that. So my third prediction, I'm going to say three more fumbles. I think Michigan seemed to emphasize stripping the ball a little bit more. Uh, last week than than maybe past seasons. I think they maybe they saw something from Florida. Uh, I'm not sure what, but I think that they are going to be able to force three fumbles. Uh, Cincinnati not great at the intangibles. You know, a lot of lot of silly penalties, a lot of turnovers in the past. Uh, so I think that they they're able to capitalize. My MVP, although I guess if Donovan Peoples Jones has multiple touchdowns, it's probably going to be him. But my other MVP. Rashawn Gary, I don't think, you know, without Martez Ivy, uh, without, you know, I mean, Cincinnati's going to, they can't really double team anybody because literally everyone else is going to take advantage. So I think that they, they're in for a world of hurt. I think this is Rashawn Gary's uh, breakout game for this season. And I think that there's just really no one that can really stop him. Uh, Isaiah, how about you? Uh, my third prediction and game ball go hand in hand for the second consecutive week. I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to pick Devin Bush as my game ball. I'm pretty sure I picked Devin Bush as my game ball last week. Uh, I, I can see him having 
I'm going to say that he gets double-digit di- uh, tackles. Uh, okay. And, and let's go ahead and throw, throw two more sacks in there. So we'll say double-digit right. tackles, two more sacks. Wow. Uh, so four so sacks in the year, that's a start. <laughs> just, 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 to, just to be super bold, uh, we'll do that. But, okay. Uh, I, yeah, I just think that he, he's, he's figured it out. He's, you know, he's going to be everywhere. Uh, we saw he was everywhere, and, and now that he's going up against a team that doesn't have as much uh, overall team speed as Florida, no offense to the Bearcats, no offense to Angelique Shingelis, but uh, I don't think she's listening nor being offended by that. You you don't know that. Uh, you don't know who listens to this program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I just see see a huge game from Devin uh, again. All right, Steve. We don't need to keep saying no offense. I mean, they're just, Cincinnati just Michigan should roll on Saturday. So offense, <laughs> Cincinnati. I think Michigan's going to just dominate on Saturday, but. Um, Third bold prediction. I, I don't know. You can't really quantify it. Uh, I just I think Nolan Ulysio really rebounds. Uh, he's a, he's from just outside of Cincinnati, or he was considering them recruiting or something. Both. Yeah. Both, so I think he rebounds and has a big game. There's obviously motivation that he didn't play spectacularly in his first start, and then I you know I don't know if there's some hometown motivation or something in that. Uh, but I think he rebounds. I always look for Michigan. This is what I think. Uh, oh, MVP, by the way. I'm going to go with Ty Isaac. I think he continues his momentum, really. I really like okay. what I saw to him yeah. on Saturday against Florida. Uh, man, just look like a different player. I, this is really <laughs> hard to explain, but I just really, you know, if you're a Michigan fan, I'd be really encouraged about what you saw to him. Uh, but going back to Ulysio and just in general, I think you have to look for maybe the guy in a game like this, you kind of maybe look for the guys that, maybe need or would benefit from more confidence, which is why, like, I agree with you guys. Although I picked high Isaac to be my game ball, I do think you'll want to see him throw the ball a lot to try to build Spate's confidence back up. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of runs to the right side of the line to work on one a little bit more and Elizio, uh, you know, and get them more and more acclimated. You know, why run to the left side? You know, Mason Cole, Bredesen, those guys know what they're doing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I kind of look for that. I always look, that's one of the things I always look for. Guys who may need a little bit more of a confidence boost, especially offensively, try to get them involved. All right, let's get our score predictions before we get out of here. Uh, Isaiah, what do you got? Uh, 49 to 7, Michigan. Steve? Uh, 44 to 3. Okay, Michigan. and uh, I got 38 nothing. Uh, going with that shutout bold prediction. Anyway, that's going to do it for this podcast. Uh, Hopefully you had some good time. It it is fun to be back in the season again, having some actual real football stuff before our eyes to talk about. We'll be there on Saturday. Tons of coverage coming your way before, during, and after the game. Uh, If you need stuff to tide you over between now and then, we've already got tons of stuff on the site. You already know. Michigan.247sports.com. Big thank you to Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull for joining me on the phone. I'm the host, Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. I hope you learned something, and we'll see you next time.